update for the entire show. Uh, June Shepard on Tuesday, January 11, 
that up, Tony. Just let them marinate. Poor slobs. Struggling through the morass of Mike Douglas and Johnny Carson. Forever hoping to get some kind of salvation through Dick Cabot. I'm going to read a bad poem. Adelaide was quite dismayed. The more she ate, the less she weighed. The less she weighed, the more she ate. And Adel Adelaide lost weight. She stuffed herself with meat and cheese, potatoes, pumpkins, pies and peas. But standing on a scale, she found that she had shed at least a pound. She gorged herself on breasts of veal, on roasted fish, on pickled eel. But on completion of this feast, her scale read ten pounds less, at least. Poor Adelaide, that foolish glutton, filled herself with heaps of mutton. But when this was finally done, the scale said minus twenty-one. She ate until her face turned blue. She did not know what else to do. But when she finished with her plate, she'd lost a hundred pounds of weight. Soon, Adelaide, by all accounts, was down to hardly half an ounce. And yet, what filled her with despair was that her cupboard shelves were bare. For Adelaide still wished to eat, then spied a breadcrumb by her feet. She swiftly plucked it off the floor and swallowed it. Then was no more. Just thought you ought to know that there's a lot of bad stuff going out in the world, sneaking all around you. Every place you go. A boy stood on a burning deck eating peanuts by the peck. His father called him. He wouldn't go because he loved the peanuts so. And the boy stood on a burning deck. His feet were full of blisters. The flames came up and burned his pants. And now he wears his sisters. You never know when it's going to strike you. Hello, Mr. Python, curled around a tree. Bet you'd like to make yourself a dinner out of me, eh? Can't you change your habits, crushing people's bones? I wouldn't like a dinner that emitted fearful moans. <laughs> the panther is like a leopard, except it hasn't been peppered. Should you behold a panther crouch, prepare to say ouch. Better yet, if called by a panther, don't panther. Oh, isn't that terrible? It's terrible. Oh, I don't know what to do. It's just getting worse all the time. You think that's bad? Listen to this one. Upon this cake of ice is perched the paddle-footed puffin. To find his trouble, we have searched, but have discovered nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, you know. Willie built a guillotine. Tried it out on Sister Jean. Said Mother as she got the mop. These messy games have got to stop. Thought you'd like a little poetry tonight. People always say, dude, some of that beautiful poetry. A peanut sat on a railroad track. His heart was all a flutter. The 5.15 came rushing by. Tutu, peanut butter. <laughs> a frog, he sat on a lily pad, looking up at the sky. The lily pad broke, and the frog fell in, water all in his eye. A man, he lived by the sewer, and by the sewer he died. And at the coroner's inquest, they called it suicide. <laughs> A rabbit raced a turtle. You know the turtle one. And 
Mr. Bunny came in late. Zachary Zeb was the last man, the last man left on earth. For everyone else had died for him, and no one come to birth. In former times, young Zachary had asked to be made to wed. I love thee, dear, he called her true. Will thou be Mrs. Zeb? No, not if you was the last man on earth, the maid replied. And he was. But she wouldn't give consent, and in due time she died. So all along stood Zachary. It's not so bad, he said. There's no one to make me brush my hair. Not a chance. There's no one to call me wicked. That's right. So from now on, I pronounce long live King Zachary. So Zachary said was the last man and the last king beside. And never a person lived to tell. If ever Zachary died, he might be there yet. Just let that plunk for a while. Little tiny puppy dog sleeping soundly as a log. Better wake him for his dinner. Or else he'll start to sleep much thinner. Oh, wait a minute. You know who wrote that? Don't want any smart talk here. The ostrich roams the Great Sahara. Its mouth is wide. Its neck is narrow. It has such long, lofty legs. I'm glad it sits to lay its eggs. <laughs> oh, I was born about 10,000 years ago, and there's nothing in this world I do not know. I saw Baliam on his mule riding off through Sunday school, and I'll lick the guy that says it isn't so. Pigs are stout, and pigs are kind, and pigs are seldom clean. Out before and tail behind, and bacon in between. <laughs> yes, outside Buckingham Palace, a dog was barking one day. When out of a house came a chocolate mouse and frightened the doggy away. And so that chocolate mouse was taken to the queen, who swallowed him up with a gobbly glove. I do think that was mean. Very silly, too. <laughs> Who wants my jellyfish? I'm not Sally Fish. That's <laughs> their what Do you want pawns? You're going to get pawns, you slob. That's the way it goes. Trouble with you. Never know what you want. Is that a porcupine? Dear Miss Pincushion, it's for you, I pine. I wish you were mine. Give me my valentine. Said Miss Pincushion, my dear porcupine, it's really a sin. But me, you cannot win if you don't know the difference between pine and pin. Guys actually write this stuff. The king said to Salome, we'll have no dancing here. Salome said to heck with you and kicked the chandelier. Thank you, Tony. You just let it go. It's all the same in the yard. Why? I told you that. As I was standing on a street, as quiet as could be, a great big ugly man came up and tied his horse to me. (laughs) 
thumb upon the plains of Kiribati. He goes about with nothing on. A shocking thing to do. But if he dressed respectably and let his whiskers grow, how like this big baboon would be to Mr. So-and-so. I think that's all I'll give you tonight. That's enough beauty for tonight. I said enough. Out. Enough beauty for tonight. I mean... That's what, you know, you need once in a while in your life. Well, beauty. You know, the deal with the things that, uh, that the temporal life doesn't deal with. Those little subtle things. You know, it's like when you're standing in the middle of a junkyard outside of Hackensack. You look around and you can see if you look hard enough into that gloaming. Look hard enough. You can see all the lost and wasted, twisted, sad, happy lives floating above the junkyard. The million sparrows of last year past. Everything's getting nervous. Yeah, which uh, reminds me. Don't ask me why. This is W.O.R. New York. You know, word association. Yeah. It's uh, money time here. And uh, if you're wondering about the whole problem of ecology and environment and so forth, we'd like to suggest a great uh, article in the January Harper's by Peter Drucker, who makes some really fantastic points. And by the way, uh, Harper's is one of my old favorite magazines. It's one of the first magazines, as a matter of fact, that I remember my mother getting as a subscription, you know, and had a lot of big words in it. Anyway, the January Harper's is a real guest. They've got an article by Simone de Beauvoir called Sensuality and Sexuality in Old Age. So if you'd like to try Harper's, it's just a dollar for a regular issue. But if you'd like to get it at your home, 12 issues for $4.25. That's less than 36 cents a copy. Don't send money. Phone LT14747 in New York. If you're out of town, call Collect. That's LT14747. Or write Harper's, WOR, 1440 Broadway, New York. Did you know that your car... I, I don't know whether I should bring this to you or not, because this could be pretty bad news. I mean, you wanted... About that car of yours, do you know the cars they've discovered just recently can be neurotic? Just let you think about that for a minute. I'm serious. I'm not inventing it. Cars? Have you wondered why this car of yours, no matter what you get done on it, no matter how much dough you spend on it, it still is a bummer? Neurotic. So you don't think that it can be neurotic? Well, according to a UPA report, it can. According to Samuel Lests of the Mechanical Engineering Department at the Pennsylvania State University, Lets and his associates have developed a kind of mechanical version of a Sigmund Freud treatment for automobiles. You may have to take your car in to have it analyzed. You see this car there? Your car? <laughs> you know that lump that's been put down all the smoke? And they analyze it, and it talks about its 
traumatic moment, but very seriously, they have really discovered that machines show all signs of neuroticism. The sweetest sounding, best tuned automobile is neurotic because of its highly temperamental operation, including the combustion process, which varies from cycle to cycle. But now a relationship has been established between this variability and automobile exhaust pollution. Everything's getting nervous. Wait till the first Impala, Chevy Impala, writes a novel. After all, that's what all writing comes out of. Kind of a nervous tick. A desire to, you know, make yourself known. You know, it's a funny thing, though, to be honest with you. Uh, if I can, uh, you know, get honest with you. I don't know whether you can. But uh, that's, that's, a, that's a funny thing. People have asked me from time to time as a practicing working writer from time to time why do you write and of course the average walking our klutz thinks it's for money there's easier ways to earn money friend i mean big money and they ask you why you write and there's been all kinds of answers given but i don't think any writer can actually answer it not if he's being honest now, if he's being pompous, he'll come out with all kinds of jet, you know, about how he felt this deep inner urge to write this poem about the ostrich dropping the egg. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think, uh, I've, I've never been able to answer that, why you write or why you do a show. I don't think anybody uh, who, who does a show of any kind can really ultimately tell you why he does it. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of guy that plays records and reads commercials. That's something else. But uh, mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, people who are entertainers, which is what I am, too. I, I can't tell you why. You start almost from the time you're a kid. And you feel, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that most entertainers feel. Curious problem. And you can't do much about it. You feel a curious responsibility whenever you're with people to keep the party going. Do you feel that, Tony, at all? That does not win you friends. <laughs> it really doesn't. And it's a strange problem. But, uh, of course, the desire on the part of people to be entertained, especially if it's a vicarious kind of voyeuristic entertainment, knows no bounds. None whatsoever. Which reminds me, there's a great little note from Ipswich, England, which incidentally is a very quiet town. I've been in Ipswich, England. Listen to this one when a newspaper advertised a one-night charity benefit showing of, quote, the lust of the world, there was a fantastic rush for tickets. About 12 million people showed up to buy tickets to this thing. The film was about wildlife nature conservation. <laughs> they were inundated with ticket requests from people who obviously thought it was an entirely different film, said Norman Hudson of the Suffolk Trust for Nature Conservation. Listen, I had an experience just like that one time, and uh, it was a very funny thing. I was playing a school in uh, Pennsylvania, in Bucks County, and uh, it was a big, big school. And they had a brand new building. It was on, a, on the grounds, out, sort of out in the country. And a tremendous building. One of these big, new, controlled environment schools. You ever been in those controlled environment schools? Oh, yeah, they don't know summer, they don't know winter. When a kid is one of these places, he might as well be back in a womb, you know? 
It's, I'm serious. Uh, that the controlled environment is cool. <laughs> they don't have windows. Can't even see out. You know, the kids like sealed in there, and it's uh, it's all wired up with PA systems and all kinds of very involved visual aids and stuff. And everything comes canned from the outside. They see tapes, you know, nature comes in. Believe it or not, I was in one school one time, and they were in this beautiful countryside, beautiful. And uh, it was a really lovely country. In fact, it was also in Pennsylvania. And I was going to the school. Everything's controlled. It's always 76 degrees. Winter, summer, fall, spring, night, day, it doesn't matter. 76 degrees. And... Between classes, the minute the bells go off, which are chimes, you know, boom, boom, that kind of beautiful stuff, automatically music goes on. And everywhere the kids are, they're in the John, any place, music plays. And they're in this, this control. They, everybody thinks this is so groovy. I think, it, I think it gives a kid a feeling of total unreality throughout his education. But anyway, here's this beautiful countryside in this controlled environment school. was in the middle of it. And it was sealed off from the environment. Now that means no windows. See, you can control your environment also by controlling what you see. A lot of people think of environment as just air. They think of it as uh, people around you. But also it's the visual thing that you see. And uh, in this controlled environmental school, you couldn't see anything out because, you know, it couldn't can bother you what you see out there in real life yeah. and get in the way of uh, civics lessons all that stuff and so uh, no windows well the guy's taking me around and uh, we go into this classroom it's dark and all these kids are sitting in there and on the wall which was all automatic you know all kinds of screens and stuff comes on the wall there was a screen came out and these kids were watching a, a film I look at it and it's a lot of woods and stuff and birds and it's a nature film these kids are in a nature class it's on film see? and I said to the guy next to me the teacher I says well how come you don't just take them out for a walk <laughs> what a great place you got around her he says oh well uh, this is uh, you know this is a uh, visual aid I says but isn't the world a visual aid I mean, itself. By just being there, it's a fantastic visual aid. And it's in color. Not only that, it doesn't hum. I mean, you know, that film was humming. You could see little streaks going through it, see? I guess a lot of kids think nature now has streaks up and down the middle of it, you know, little spots on the film and stuff. <laughs> and occasionally, uh, nature breaks, and they have to splice it. And then they wait a while until they splice it, and the bird starts flying again. See, sometimes backward when a guy's made a bad splice or something. That's all right. That's nature. Real nature. And so I, you know, feel lays. Controlled atmosphere. Life. It's kind of great. It's like swimming in a sea of caro syrup. Lukewarm. Underwater. It's all controlled and nice. Soft and easy. How about a little of that, uh, Oh, that soft and easy control that was me. Never the sound of a divergent breeze shall under hear. Never the soft whiff of a fugitive aroma. Sublime, pleasant, for evil shall enter here. Never the scuffling, vagrant sound 
qualify for death. Shall enter here. Oh, controlled environment. Oh, soft eternal spring. Oh, filtered air of eternity. We salute thee, controlled environment, protecting the tiny motes of existence and life from the outrageous slings of evil, aberrant nature. All controlled environment, we salute thee on this night. copy of that. I just ad-libbed it. And there shall be a day, oh great Zeus, when all environment shall be controlled, and man shall seal his globe in a vast polyethylene sphere to keep up Snoopy 
uh, you know, the cutesy pie, itsy poo stuff. That is a separate type of individual, you know? The itsy poo type. The people who forever live believing in Eeyore and uh, Dorothy Parker, Little Miss Muffet, and Linus. The itsy poo world. You notice, uh, oh, I don't like to say anything about the itsy poo world, but it has its, you know, it has its lure. And it also has its, uh, you know, you can read the itsy poo stuff in another way, and it becomes an outstanding horror story. Yes, you can read, you can read, uh, if, if you have a certain kind of mind, you can see uh, Charlie Schultz and Peanuts as the ultimate horror. The ultimate horror. Little Hogan Twanger there. Salute to ultimate horror here, friends. Linus forever playing his toy piano. It's right out of Jean-Paul Sartre. Forever saluting the birthday of a mythical Beethoven. Forever spinning through a soundless, unfeeling universe. Dogs that imagine they play hockey. The ultimate horror of man's groping mind trying to make sense out of a chaotic nothingness. The security blankets of the Linuses forever. An eternally adolescent society. When it's finally all said and done and all the scattered stars have settled to the beaches of lost. Man will live forever, eternally twelve. And woman, of course, eternally nine. And each will be issued his lifelong yo-yo. In the controlled atmosphere. And that's the one element of atmosphere nobody can control. Time. Everyone can control. 189 dollars and 95 cents when bought off season the temperature the humidity through a simple air conditioning unit he can control what he sees by watching nothing but selected channels on his television set and buying selected films and rating them gp x d l 6sj7 yes it's now at a point where one can rate the visibility and the viability and the acceptability of various visions. GPXLD. But they can't yet control time. 